We've been talking in the last uh, little while through Little Park Church about change, about uh, the desire of God's heart is that we would be changed, that we would more and more become like Christ. Uh, we talked that uh, very often change in our life, within our Christian life, is talked about as, as being an issue of the heart. That faith requires a willingness to bow down before God. That faith uh, requires a willingness to confess our own sinfulness and our need for a Savior. The Bible speaks to us as that, uh, or speaks of that as spiritual rebirth of what it means to accept the good news of the gospel. And from that point on, we move from, I would say, from living apart from God or living Instead of seeing God as a, a distant possibility, that we begin to know Him as Heavenly Father. The Father who loves us, knows us, and asks us within this world in which we live to be willing to live by faith. We live every day, and I think we need to always remind ourselves of this in the church, we live every day wrapped up in the righteousness of Jesus Christ on our behalf. Sometimes in the church I think we are a little bit guilty of throwing sin messages back into the face of people who say they've been redeemed by the cross of Christ. And we need to continue to say the message that we are wrapped up, every one of us, every day, in the righteousness of Jesus in our behalf, that our victory, our freedom, our hope lies in Jesus, and that the Spirit of God is in the process of changing us from the inside out to conform to the image of Jesus. And I think as children of God, we need to allow our hearts to rest in that, I'm going to call it, very humble place. Humble place before God, and even a humble place within the church, one to another as brothers and sisters. But our faith, I believe, is more than just a position of our heart toward God, that our faith is also meant to activate our minds, that our faith is actually meant to, I'm going to say, fine-tune how we think, and that we actually are called, I want to say, to be critical thinkers for the kingdom of God. We need to be critical thinkers, bringing a faith and a God perspective to the world in which we live. And I want to say the world in which we live, to me it seems increasingly seeks to marginalize God or push God off to the sidelines. The wisdom of this world might suggest that God is either unnecessary, that God is irrelevant, or even a silly notion of a simpler time. The wisdom of this world may give God a place on the bench, if I use a sports analogy, in case we might need Him or in case we might need to call upon Him. And there are voices in our society who would actually like to see God ejected from the game altogether. Paul reminds us that a God perspective, a faith perspective, 
will always stand in opposition to the prevailing wisdom of the day on many occasions and on many issues. And it's interesting that that was true in the very first century when Paul wrote this verse that I'm going to uh, highlight in a moment. And it's equally true of the 21st century that we are called in a way as children of God to be out of step with the culture in which we live. That God calls us as his children to be in the world, but not of the world. And Romans 12, verse 2, and it's really this verse that I'm going to uh, park on for pretty much the entire morning. Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, that which is acceptable, that which is perfect. Another person put it this way, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. And then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. I think that's a great verse. first part says, don't do this. Don't allow yourself to be conformed to this world. The middle part says, do this, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And the last part is the reason why. So that you may know the good and the pleasing and the perfect will of God for you. As Christians, we will likely find ourselves flowing against the current of culture. And I want to say, if we don't, I think there's probably something wrong in how our life is interpreting the gospel. The conventional wisdom of this world is often at odds with what God's will for us as his children would be. And Paul, I think, puts out a strong challenge to us that if our minds are not being continually renewed or refreshed, they will inevitably default or perhaps succumb to our culture's way of thinking. We will start conforming to the patterns of this world. I don't want to, do not want to imply that everything about the world stands in opposition to God. Because I don't believe that is true. I think every time decisions within our country, within our society are made based on compassion, based on integrity, based on honesty, based on justice and that which is right, we actually are falling in line with how God would have us live. When we pray for our country, I would say that is what we are praying for, that those that God had placed over us would rule over us with compassion, with integrity, with honesty, with justice, and with that which is right. Yet there are aspects of every age that will challenge a Christian perspective or a God perspective. And we live in an age, I think, that is increasingly skeptical about the notion of truth with a capital T. Skeptical that such an ultimate truth actually exists. We live in an age that increasingly challenges the notion of a relational God. That God exists and that His desire is for us to know Him. 
and his love for us. And while as a nation we do profess freedom of religion, for which we should always give thanks, there are increasingly loud voices within our culture that also are calling for freedom from religion. To move or remove a God consciousness from the public domain. In our country, its legislation and often the ruling of its courts are moving in this direction that we find ourselves increasingly, I believe, as children of God, at odds with the wisdom of man. And Paul says, do not conform to the pattern, the thinking, the behavior of this world. Do not let the world, one translation says, mold you into its own image. Because it will be a perspective that seeks to remove God from the throne that is his alone and replace it with man. As I thought about this verse, I thought a Christian perspective within culture is never a call to conformity. That conformity itself is almost always the path of least resistance. It's the easy option. To be transformed means I am willing when necessary to live against the flow. And when it comes to how we view the world in which we live, Paul says we need to continually hit the refresh button. Hit the renew button based on the truth of God himself and how God calls us to live. And I think every time we meet as a church, as we are this morning, Every time we meet within the church as small groups, whatever form they may take, we share opportunities to be renewed and to be refreshed. And I think it's one of the reasons that God calls us to gather as his church is to be continually renewed and refreshed. Being people of faith within our culture is often portrayed as being we are seen often as being intolerant, at times we're called narrow-minded, sometimes we're even called closed-minded people. I think the Bible says we need to be considered fools for the sake of Christ. We need to be willing within our culture to be considered fools for the sake of Christ. That faith in a God that we cannot see truly makes us, I would say, easy targets for ridicule. Yet faith in a God that we cannot see makes us pleasing in the eyes of God. Psalm 14, verse 1, David says this, The fool says in his heart, There is no God. I thought it was interesting that even the fool chooses not to say that out loud. Fool says it in his heart, there is no God. And I'm not sure why I became directed to this uh, interview this uh, last couple of weeks. Uh, some of you may know uh, Stephen Colbert. Uh, Stephen Colbert is a bit of a cultural icon in the United States. For about 10 years, he had a show called The Colbert Report. Uh, he's a comedian, but he also uh, is a political satirist, so he often pokes fun at. Uh, politics 
In his show, in the last part of every half-hour show, he would interview somebody of significance within culture, uh, perhaps a politician, perhaps a writer, maybe a scientist, and occasionally he would interview, interview people of faith. And I happened to come across this interview where Stephen Colbert is speaking with a Catholic father, and it spoke to what this verse speaks about, and I'm going to ask if you can run that, it's just a few seconds. It's, it's funny to talk about this with a priest, because when I would have people on the show who were men of the cloth, of any faith, or people who I knew were of, a, of at least a, a deep or overt faith, that was part of their public persona that we knew about them, I would, I would often go back and talk to them, and instead of saying, you know, he's a well-intentioned, poorly informed, high-status idiot, I would say, he's a fool. And though Christ says, call no man fool, I am one. And so... Are we all fools for Christ? Huh? Yeah, yeah. Willing to be wrong in society, or wrong according to our time, but right according to our conscience, which is got by the Holy Spirit. I must admit that when I heard that, I was astounded. I don't, I'm not a... I don't follow Stephen Colbert. I'm not advocating that you should actually follow Stephen Colbert. But I was astounded by that comment. Um, and sometimes it's refreshing to hear voices in culture speak against culture from a position of faith. And his point is that we as Christians have to be willing to be wrong in the eyes of this world in order to be right within our conscience as guided by the Holy Spirit of God. So we find ourselves, I think, in a place of tension within society, and I think we always will. In fact, I think that place of tension is only going to grow. And as Christians, we need to hang on to truth. We need to hang on to faith. We need to hang on to God. And we are called, as a church, to live that out, to live out that faith in love. And I think at times that can be a challenge for the church, how to live that out in love. There are some within the church that say when faced with things that we oppose within culture, that we should get on our soapbox and shout louder. I am not persuaded that he who shouts the loudest is necessarily the winner. He or she is simply the loudest, which can easily become annoying or even obnoxious. Chris Rice is a Christian singer-songwriter. Some of you may know him. I, I enjoy his music because for me his music speaks both to the heart of who we are as children of God. There's a humbleness about his music, but his music also engages the mind. Sort of he encourages us, encourages us as Christians to be people who are thinking about our faith within the culture in which we live. And he has a song where I think he points to the dis disconnect, even within culture, about how culture very often is unable to provide what it seems to offer. 
And he also, I think, calls us to consider how we choose to respond to the world in which we live. And I've, I've taken just a few verses from a song that says, you don't have to yell. So-called reality right there on my TV. If that's how life's supposed to be, well, somebody's lying. The camera's on and we can tell. That's a great line. The camera's on and we can tell. To keep your fame, you have to yell, because tensions build, products sell, and we're all buying. I hope we're smarter than this. Everybody take a breath, why roll your faces red? We're missing all the words you said, you don't have to yell. Draw your lines and choose your side, and I think this verse, that's what it says, do not be conformed, be transformed. Draw your lines, choose your side, because many things are worth fighting. But louder doesn't make you right, you don't have to yell. You don't have to yell. As I thought about that, if we seek to counter the message or counter the thinking of culture, it will not necessarily be by shouting against it. But I believe our quiet voices, our quiet voices of faith need to be lived out as loud as we can within our homes. Our quiet voices need to be seen and heard within the workplace in which God has placed us. And our faith, what we believe, needs to be shouted out within the context of the church gathering. That God calls us as a church to stand in opposition to the way in which our culture is formed. If we are called to shout anything, I would say we are called to shout the good news. We're called to shout as a church the good news that God exists and that God continues to reward those who diligently, diligently seek Him. I think the disconnect between faith and our culture really is all about God Himself. Bible says that in the beginning, God. And in the end, God. That God is the great I Am. The starting point of the Christian faith is always that God simply is. And we say, I choose to believe that by faith. The skeptic is quick to ask, well, you know, where did God come from? And I think at that precise point, the minute we ask that question, we have begun to apply to God limitations of our own human understanding. In Isaiah, God said this, My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, said the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And I ask, am I good with that? Do I accept that? And my answer is, yes, I do. 100%. That before anything came to be, there was God. And all that came to be reflects the mind, the will, and the creative hand and heart of God. And when everything we see passes away, God will still be and the beauty of the gospel is that those who place their faith in him through Jesus Christ will be ushered into eternity. Which in itself is a concept that transcends time. 
I was reminded uh, last week, and again, I'm not sure exactly where this thought came from, but uh, in about 2008, maybe 2009, you may remember this in London, uh, billboards were plastered on the sides of buses. The billboard said this, there's probably no God, now stop worrying and enjoy your life. I think another way of saying this might be there's probably no God, so go ahead and live as you please. We'll remove God from the scene and we'll make our own rules governing life. And the guiding principle will not be some notion of God's will or God's design for us. We will be guided by, I think, in pattern, we might say, personal rights and freedoms. That we will ask the judges of our land to legislate the morality of our country and will create a country in which right and wrong and this notion of truth will say that those things are both personal and relevant. That when deciding on how you will live your life, that you are the deciding factor. I think we are creating such a society. But I want to suggest that while society can live life on its own terms, society will never live life without consequences. And I think the consequences are all around us. Some of them, I think Dwayne referenced when he talks about people who in their conforming to the pattern of this world have been drawn to some very dark, destructive places. I think there are consequences for any society that chooses to remove God from how that society chooses to operate. Yet two things struck me interesting about that bus ad. Even though sponsored by overt advocates of an atheistic view of life, the fact that they use the word probably <laughs> astounded me when I thought about that. It left the door wide open. Even to people who say they reject that notion, they left the door wide open for the potential you know, that God actually exists. Secondly, that ad attributed worry and unhappiness to restrictions that faith in God would place on my life. He said, there's probably no God, so don't worry and enjoy your life. I think the, actual, the exact opposite is actually true. That my faith in God actually serves to dispel worry and it allows me to enjoy life within the parameters that God places on me, which the Bible says are for my benefit, they're for my welfare, they're for my good. I think every parent knows what it means to place boundaries and guidelines around their young children. And they do it for the safety and the benefit and the welfare of their children. I think that's a reflection of God's heart for you and for me. That as our Father, God places guidelines around our life for our benefit. 
Do not be conformed to the conventional wisdom of the world, but be continually transformed by the renewing of your mind. And if I was to ask the question, why? The last part of that verse says, in order to put your life in line with the good, the pleasing, and the perfect will of God. I want to say that's not a guarantee of a life without struggles. That verse does not say everything in your life should be good, everything in your life should be pleasant, everything in your life should be perfect. That's not what that verse says. But it is a promise that in all things, in all circumstances of life, in all struggles of life, the promise that in all those things God is working for our good, God is working to grow us, I'm going to say, into maturity as his child, and he is making us more like Christ. As I thought about it this week, I thought, no matter how you dissect those three attributes, good, pleasing, perfect, no matter how limited our understanding might be of, of how this may play out in our life, every one of them is meant to dispel worry, it's meant to dispel fear, and it is to free us to embrace life as children of God. And I believe the more we resist conforming to the wisdom of man, and I think there's something very intentional about that. In other words, we need to truly engage the mind that God has given us. The more we will find ourselves being transformed, into the image of Christ. That the presence of God in our life, the Spirit of God in our life, will change us more and more into who God made us to be. So this morning, I encourage all of us to continually renew our minds. Have your minds renewed. Take a look at the world through the critical thinking and the critical eyes of the child of God. And to be willing when necessary to swim upstream against the current of culture. And to live within this world, as the Bible says, we're not actually citizens of this world. The Bible says we're citizens of heaven. And I'm going to end up just by repeating that verse that it kind of hopefully will just sit with us this week. Think about it when you're watching some of those shows on TV, whatever. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will know, you will learn to know God's will for you. And God's will for you is good. God's will for you is, some say pleasing, other translations say acceptable. God's will for you is perfect. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I want to thank you, God, for the encouragement of that verse for us to truly live with this, this world with the eyes of faith. Father, help us actually do that uh, in a way that encourages us to live differently than this world. To make choices, Father, that our world might actually see as being rather odd. 
Father, would you help us? Would you speak to us through the Holy Spirit of God? Father, keep us, I pray, from conforming to this world. It can lead to such horrible places. Consequences of a life lived apart from God. Father, those consequences are all around us. We see them. Father, I pray by your spirit we be transformed. That you would truly, day by day, Father, renew our minds. That, Father, we could actually rest in the fact that your will for us is good, is pleasing, and is perfect. Thank you, Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.